And today I have a message about overcoming evil. Overcoming evil is something that we don't really talk much about in general, uh, but it's something that should be spoken about. We don't talk about this often in churches. Uh, and I think so many churches just want to be polite and inviting and maybe people just had a tough week and I get that. So they stop speaking about the truth, the truth of God's word. So they have limited God's words. And so the people are left with an incomplete knowledge of God and of good and of evil. They don't understand good and evil. Uh, without the knowledge, they lack the power to overcome evil. And knowledge is power as it, it gives us uh, power to overcome evil. The Bible speaks about evil and therefore we should too. And so Jesus said in John 16, 13, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And we know that we will have trouble. And, and why is this? Well, because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world filled with sin and evil. We, we live in a world where the man, the woman, our natural being, very often takes us astray. But then Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. And while we're going to speak about evil, don't worry and don't get scared. Jesus is the victor. Amen. He has, he has overcome the grave. He has overcome the world. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And because he lives, we can face our future. Uh, um, it, and it's bright. It's a bright future. A lot of times people are just looking out and it's gloomy and dark. But it's a bright future. It's a bright future in Jesus Christ. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't have scary times. That will mean we won't have tough times and difficult times and face dark times. But he also gives us instructions on how to live today. And we have grace for today. We don't always have grace for the next 10 years. Grace for today. We're living today, moment by moment, day by day. And while we don't need evil to exist on earth, we know that evil does exist on earth. And, and through, throughout scriptures and God's word, we look to God. We look to God for his words. We look to God for his help. And we learn how to safely navigate around sin and, and evil and, and go through the storms of life. And the book of Romans is Paul's longest book and uh, theologically and, uh, it's an and it's an influential type letter and he wrote this great book about 25 years after being saved and becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and he wrote this book to correct certain attitudes that were taking place problems that were taking place and problems that actually occurred in the church between the Jews and the Gentiles and whenever there's people there's going to be problems you need to know that. I think you know that already. Just life tells us that. Wherever there's people, there's sin, there's problems, there's evil, there's wickedness. But God's word uh, teaches us how we're supposed to live and act and behave during these hard times. And so we study God's word and we meditate on God's words. And we ask God to help us. And we ask God to help us become overcomers. And now the first human sinned in the Garden of Eden. They, they rebelled against God. And once evil entered this world, it, it grows if it's not purged and, and removed. So sin abounds. It, it, corrupted, it corrupted things, right? It corrupted the way things should be. And now we're left to uh, deal with sin and evil and wickedness. And, and so they, today we're going to look at why there's evil and why God allows evil to even exist on earth. We also will look at 
what God did to reduce or combat the effects of sin uh, and evil in this world and in our future. And then we'll also look at our part. We have a part to play. Uh, are we contributing to evil? Are we contributing to the evil that exists already? Or are we actually doing something about it to limit it and reduce uh, the effects of it on ourselves and really those that are around us? All right, now that you have a little break, let's just stand for this part of the reading of the word. We're in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 19. Love must be sincere. Hate evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep in your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer, share with God's people, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And we know it's not always possible to do those things. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And this portion of scripture is packed with things that we ought to be doing and, and practicing every day in our lives. So I encourage you to read and reread this portion of scripture over and over again. But verse 9, I want to uh, just focus on another moment here. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And these things cannot be done and lived out rightly if in the absence of the Lord. And these things, uh, God is love. And, and if we want to love rightly, if we want to live rightly, we must be filled with the love of God. Too many people are living a life that is just not honest and pure and truthful. And there's a lot of pretenders out there. Did you know that? There's a lot of pretenders out there. There's a lot of wickedness out there. There are a lot of angry, violent people out there. But love must be sincere. Cling to what is good. Hate evil. And again, to do this, uh, we must be filled with the love of God. The love of God. And allow God to lead us and guide us in His ways. And stop taking things into our own hands. And um, we need to follow His ways and His will. And they're the best. They're always the best. His ways are always the best, church. And they always make the most sense. Maybe not immediately. You might not understand it immediately. But long term, it makes the, the most sense if you just obey. Trust and obey. There's really no other way. Amen. Father God, help us, O oh Lord, to know that your way is best. We believe in you, O oh God. We love you, O oh God. Let let the power that you have placed on us lead us, guide us. Let us do something with your power and authority. Not just have the knowledge. Do something with that knowledge that is good to overcome evil. Help us to understand this topic a little better and what our part is and what your part is. That we may give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this first book of Romans is rich in theology. Theology is a systematic study of, of God and his words. This book is not always easy 
to understand and it's packed with just so much information and so we should study it and meditate on it on his words and jot down some of the scripture references uh, because we, we don't have all the slides on this, but you're just going to rip through some of this as we go along. But if, if I was going to teach someone how to read the Bible for the first time, for the very first time, maybe some of you have not remembered what that's like, I would not start them in Romans and I would not start them in Revelation. Neither would I go to Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. I wouldn't even go to Isaiah or, or Daniel for the first books to just read. And again, these can be very hard books to understand initially, and they're mysterious in many ways, uh, and they require a deeper study. But there are some books that are easier to understand and digest for the, a beginner who just opens up his Bible or her Bible. And, and while the entire Bible should be read cover to cover, I believe every year, uh, it's 15 minutes a, a day, right? Um, you can listen to the whole Bible in 72 to 75 hours if you just took three days to do it. That's not studying the Bible. That's just hearing the words, right? But I would start, uh, I would start with these complicated books. I would start maybe in the book of Luke, uh, which was a Gentile, right? He was a Gentile convert and the only non-Jewish uh, writer of the Bible. He was a historian, an investigator, uh, very well educated. He was also a doctor. He carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So now we have an account of those facts and can know the certainty, know with certainty the things that we have been taught and know the truth that has been passed down from the very first eyewitnesses and servants of the word and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eyewitnesses, and it gets passed on, and he investigated all this, and I would also maybe start the first uh, seven to 10 chapters of Matthew, and I would have people immediately start learning about Jesus Christ, his miraculous birth, his baptism, his temptation, and, and how he began to preach and teach uh, his disciples. After reading Luke, and after reading the first uh, seven to ten chapters of Matthew. Then I would probably go to Genesis and Exodus, and from there probably the book of John. And once again, start learning more about Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, the, the great I Am. You have to understand that. And then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Start learning about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And then I would go to the great book of James. I love the book of James. A small book, a powerful book, is the book of James. Then I would go to the book of Romans. And from there, read whatever else you want to read in, in the Bible. And so... Um, that's how I would start someone as, as a beginner. I read the Bible. Um, but that, because you need a strong faith, a, a strong base, a strong foundation as to who Jesus is and, and why he came. And, and it also then, when Genesis and Exodus starts giving you some more uh, history of creation and the fall of man. And again, my reasoning is uh, because some of these books are too weighty to, for, for a beginner just to dive in. A the theological and eschatology, which is the study of, of the future and end times. So I say just start learning right away about Jesus, Amen. who Jesus is, and about his love. And so when the Bible then says love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, we need a little background on this as well. Why, why, why do what's right? Why serve? Why love? Why, why honor God? Why hate evil? Why honor others? If there's no God, if there's no moral code, then do whatever you feel like doing. Just please yourself. Just live, die, and do whatever you feel like doing, right? But if God is real, not Israel, but if God is real, and He is, then He has a plan and a purpose for your life. 
And it ought to be fulfilled in your life and through your life. And so obey Him. Trust Him. Follow His ways. Follow His words. With all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with everything that you are, give your life over to Him. First, First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man or woman or child or people who does the will of, the, of God lives forever. So we have to hate evil and love this world. And we are not to put forth uh, God's will. We ought to put forth God's will and purpose on earth as it is in heaven. And by the way, not loving the world doesn't mean hating God's creation. Because everything God has created is beautiful. Everything God has created is done well and is good. So we need to investigate what these portions of scriptures are actually uh, saying and mean. We ought to love God sincerely and rightly and love the saints of God. And we are to love others. As the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you love God wrongly, right? When, when you misunderstand who Jesus is, everything gets messed up. You need to understand that everything just gets messed up. So who is Jesus? And, and I just have a, a, a quick snapshot here of a few things. In the book of John, we learn that Jesus is the Word and that he is also God. In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, though in him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but darkness has not understood it. And then you jump to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and we learn in the beginning God. Right there says a lot. In the beginning God. God created the heavens and earth and now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated darkness he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. In Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 15. We continue to learn about the supremacy of Christ. In talking about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and are created for him. He is before all things. In him, all things are held together, hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Again, Jesus Christ has supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. He presents us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If 
If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out to the, in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 13 of that same chapter says, For he, Jesus, has rescued us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as we go through the Bible, we see that Jesus is God, that Jesus is supreme above all things, above all people. He was with God in the beginning, and everything that is was created by Him and created for Him. We see the Holy Spirit is there as well. The Bible says the Spirit of God was hovering hovering over the waters. We see this throughout Scripture. The Trinity is at work, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all together in operation from the beginning of creation. They're one. God is one. One God. There is one God in three per uh, persons, in perfect state of unity and harmony. Amen? Amen. And there always existed before anything was that we know or that we've ever seen. In fact, God always was. This is a hard concept to really grasp. What was before anything was? God. God always was, right? Before anything was created, God was. God is not a created being. God is not a created being, always was. Now, this portion of Scripture, uh, we have these terms darkness here. In the absence of light, we have darkness. In the absence of his light, we have spiritual darkness. Darkness and light are often a metaphor for uh, evil and good. Now, light also can mean God's truth. And God's words are always truthful. Amen? God's words are always truthful. God cannot lie. Now, darkness can simply mean the absence of light. Or the absence of the sun's brightness. So you might say, it's dark outside. Or the room is dark. And once the sun comes up and once you turn on that light switch, darkness runs away. Darkness has to be removed. Once light shines up, shows up, darkness has to go away. Spiritually, there are similarities here as well. Without the Lord in one's life, people are living in darkness. And once God illuminates their heart, their mind, their soul their spirit, and they receive Jesus and allow him to operate in them and through them, they become light bearers. You are to be light bearers of God. You are to be carriers of God's glory wherever you go. When you walk into a room, it should shine with the love of Jesus. We take the light of God wherever we go, or at least we should be taking. So burn, baby, burn, and burn bright for Jesus Christ. Yes. Hallelujah. Can we have a praise offering for that? Come on. We are to burn brightly for Christ. Now darkness can refer to evil and it can refer to the world's system. And the world in Greek is cosmos and often refers to the, to the system of Satan. Satan uh, promotes and oversees. So who is Satan? Well, he is the prince of the world, John 12, 31. He is evil. He rebelled against God. He is a created creature, a fallen angel, an enemy of God. But he was not made uh, that way from the beginning. Prior to this, uh, he was created by God. Everything that God created is good. Everything. 
was good. But Satan chose to rebel against God. And with that, many of the angels fell with him. We call these fallen angels or creatures uh, often demons. And Satan goes by many names. Most of you know these names. The serpent, the dragon, the accuser of the saints, the adversary, the father of lies. He promotes false teaching and false doctrine. He is sneaky. He is crafty. And he wants to destroy, destroy the works of God. He wants to keep unbelievers in spiritual bondage and uh, derail the believer and take the, the believer off mission, off God's mission. He's a liar and a thief. He came to steal, kill, destroy. He's a spiritual being created by God. He's not a person, but can masquerade as an angel of light. And at times, good or evil, an angel can show up as, as good or evil, right? And they can appear as humans. Time doesn't allow it. Um, but as we go, as you dive deeper into the study of angels throughout Scripture, we know that angels can appear in different forms, can appear to be human, and are ministering spirits. Now, Satan, who represents evil and is evil, again, wants to try to uh, distract you, confuse you, and get us to follow him and other things instead of following God. And if he can grab your attention and take your focus and eyes off God and his plans and his purposes for your life, he can cause you to fail. He can cause us to fail and go astray. And we read about this being done in the Garden of Eden. And over and over again, we see this being displayed throughout history and throughout Scripture. We see that Satan is working and trying so hard to get uh, humans to fail and to rebel against God. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to rebel against God. He wants you to rebel against God. He wants us to rebel against God. Satan often presents sin as pleasing. The Bible says that sin is pleasing for a season. And he, and he wants to present it with all these beautiful lights and all these beautiful ways um, to derail us. And, and, and it's greatly desirable. So many people desire sin. And therefore, many people are going to follow his sinful ways. Another name for Satan is Lucifer. And while the Bible doesn't actually say that, it seems to supply or suggest that. And we can read more about uh, Lucifer and his name in Isaiah 14, which seems to be referring to, the, I believe, the king of Babylon at that time, but also Satan who fell like lightning from heaven. And the Bible refers, uh, different Bibles refer to him as the morning star, the shining one. And many believe that he was a beautiful angel, a cherubim. Right? A chief in, in the courts of, of heaven in front, in front of God. Now the Bible says pride comes before a fall. And I believe it was Satan's pride in thinking that he could be more powerful than God. And that caused him to fall. Pride will cause you to fall and stumble. While Satan is extremely powerful, he's powerful, he's evil, and he's powerful, as well as his other demons as well, he's still limited in his power. God is unlimited in power and authority. He is limited. Satan is limited in power and authority and, they, and he will often try to use deception, manipulation, accusation to try to take you off mission and take you off God's plans and purposes for your life. Don't let him do it. Don't allow him to do it. So many people have just allowed God to come in, Satan to come in I should say, and just allow um, fill your mind with all this other stuff. I don't need the church. I don't need saints of God. I don't need the word of God. I can do it all alone by myself. I don't need anybody. 
I, I'm, I'm my own victor. Lies from the devil to deceive you and manipulate you. Satan is an evil, fallen foe. And wants to take as many people to hell as he possibly can. Don't allow it. Don't allow it for you. Don't allow it for your family. And don't allow it for those around you. Pray for those. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for the family of God. Pray for your church. Pray for your community. Pray for your country. He wants to dethrone God. And when that failed, he wants to dethrone you. He wants you to destroy you. He wants to destroy God's creation, especially us. So Satan is evil, and he represents evil. So let me just define evil a little bit longer now that I'm in this topic of evil. What is evil? Everything evil is anything opposed to God. Anything that's opposed to God, his will and his words. Evil is usually defined as something or someone that is profoundly immoral and wicked. So evil is doing something that is sinful, morally wrong, or wicked. It could also be evil in, in, and not be morally wrong, right? For example, misfortune, calamity, disaster, tragedies. They're all called evil, but not immoral. And this would include earthquakes, storms, and, and various types of accidents. We see that evil is anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. And sin and the fall of man has caused earth to go through a... a to go through pains and changes. And when God removes his hand of protection and his provision, bad things happen. Bad things happen. And let me tell you, church, again, Satan is constantly trying to distract us, constantly trying to make us feel insecure, constantly trying to bring us down. And so often what we see with our natural eyes is not even what's happening in the spiritual realm. We need to pray it through and seek God and we can read about the story of Job, especially a chapter 2, where the Lord and Satan are having their conversation. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. Can, can that be said about you? That you're blameless and upright? A man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin! Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand, stretch it out, strike his flesh and his bones, and he will surely curse your face, curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands. What? But don't take his life. Spare his life. And we've learned from the story of Job that Satan has limited power. He's asking for permission. He has limited power. He can only go so far in testing uh, people of God. And only God allows it. And we learn that these trials are not just outside oneself. These trials are inside uh, one's family as well. For example, Job's wife said to him, curse God and die. Can you imagine that? Let's read that. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head that he took a, a piece of broken pottery and he started scratching himself with it as he sat in his own ashes. And his wife said to you, said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Basically, are you still holding on to God? Curse God and die. What an encouragement. Wives, <laughs> telling your husband, curse God and die. But I love this next portion of scripture. The, the conviction that he had in verse 10. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. 
Be careful talking to your wife that way also. But you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. You see, in good times and bad times, we need to follow the Lord. In good times and bad times, we need to trust the Lord. In good times and the bad times, you have a choice. Sin or don't sin. Yield to sin or don't yield to sin. Yield to God or don't yield to God. Follow God or don't follow God. We have choices that He has given us. We are, we are beings that have choices. Choose God and live. That's up to you. And we are sinful people. Now, we won't call each other evil. Hey, you're evil. Hey, you're evil. We don't, we don't do that. But we are evil in, in a sense. That without the Lord's leading us and guiding us, we lean and slant, and, and people lean and slant to evil, to do evil, to do depravity, every kind of depravity. In every way, we as believers also become disobedient children and do things we ought not to. Just read the paper or, or, or look at the news and you'll quickly learn about the murders, the thieves, the, the, the stealing things, the evil, the wickedness, right? That takes place throughout our country and really throughout the world. Uh, look at social media and you'll see the wickedness and depravity and, and all the nasty writings that, that people will do throughout uh, the, the social media and society. Uh, essentially, we know that evil is a, is a lack of goodness. Evil is a lack of goodness. And while you can have goodness without evil, you cannot have evil without goodness. God is good. God is love. God is merciful. God is just. God is patient. And God existed prior to evil. So you can have good without evil. And the lack of these things in a person, in a church, in a community, in a society, in a people group, constitutes evil. Now, moral evil is evil that's done to people. And for example, murder is evil. Adultery is an evil action. But people don't always start there. And you need to understand that. There's a process that takes place. So, for example, with murder, it often starts in the heart. Hatred starts in the heart before the murder takes place. For adultery, lust in the heart before adultery takes place. When it comes out of a person and his heart, that's what defiles him, the Bible says. Mark 7, beginning at verse 20, says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And then they give a list here. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and makes a person unclean. And those who practice these things, read the list again, those who practice that list and do those things are doing evil in the process and fall into the traps and the snares of the evil one. Now while Satan is evil, God is good and holy and pure. And when he does something, he does it right, he does it just. God always is just, God always is perfect. But, for, but sometimes, or sometimes we, we don't understand this. Sometimes we think about this, what, what we're doing. We look at God and we say, are you doing what's right? Are you just in what you're doing? But I want to know, are you doing what's just and right? We got to care for ourselves. Are what we doing right and just? Uh, are we? Are we? And so if we are doing what we're doing, what is it based on? What is it based on? What process 
What formula? What principle? What person? What government? What are we following? Who are we following? What's it based on? My answer is it's based on God. And it's based on the words and principles and promises of God. And if not, you shouldn't be doing it. Let's talk about holiness for a moment. God is holy. And God's holiness is hard to explain. And I will just say it this way. He's perfect, sinless, and pure in every way. And this, this holiness is something that we cannot reach and obtain on our own. When we receive Jesus, when we receive the Lord and Savior, He makes us righteous. He makes us holy. And He imputes His righteousness and holiness unto us. And to be holy is to be dedicated or consecrated to God for His purpose. So we are holy and dedicated people unto God for our purpose? No. For His purpose. And we are to be dedicated to God. Serve Him. Serve only Him. But something went wrong on planet Earth. Something went wrong in the garden, right? The fall of man. The Garden of Eden. Now in the Garden of Eden, Satan used his craftiness to trick and persuade uh, Adam and Eve to follow him instead of following God. And when that happened, they sinned. In the book of Genesis, we learn that God created the first humans. He created Adam and Eve, and he created male and female, and he created them in the image of God, and it was good. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And they were to have dominion and rule, rulership, Right over every living thing that moved on the earth. But what they did was they gave it up. They gave that up when they decided to serve Satan, a created being, instead of following and serving God Almighty, their creator. And when they disobeyed God, they gave Satan a foothold into their lives. In that moment, everything changed. In Genesis 2, verse 17, the Lord said to Adam, but you must not, must not, must not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do eat of it, you will surely die. And both Adam and Eve eventually will eat from this tree. And when they did, they will surely die. Sin entered their hearts. They never looked at each other the same way again. Sin separated them from a holy God. And it hindered and hurt their own personal relationship as well as hurting their relationship with God and they will eventually die and they died and when they disobeyed God sin enters the world and corrupted humans and they were cast out of the garden and they were cast out of God's presence but God is love and God loved them and so he made them a garment a covering of skin which means an animal had to be sacrificed I mean an animal had to be slain and sacrificed to cover them up and while the land was cursed and life was going to get hard for them, very hard for them, the Lord also put a plan together to regain access to Him. And while their sins were passed on to us and through us, through our DNA, we also made choices to sin. We also made choices to serve created beings instead of our Creator, God. That's a choice we made. The Bible says we have all sinned. The Bible says we've all failed. The Bible says we've all missed the mark, right? And while we uh, might get mad and angry with Adam and even for, them, for their sin, we sin too. We fail too. We've all sinned. The punishment is death. The punishment is banishment from a holy God in God's presence. And throughout Scripture, 
We see that the fall of man and, and sin is, is abounding. And yet God loves us and wants to seek us. And he wants to save us. And he's constantly trying to get our attention and turn us from our sin and turn us to God. Away from sin and to God. And so after the fall of, God, of the garden, in the garden, sin affects us now in various ways. And soon thereafter, Adam and Eve had children. They had Cain and Abel. As time goes on, Cain is jealous about his younger brother. Family issues, huh? We see that all the time. And, and he, Cain kills Abel. Now we have the first murder. Pride and jealousy is so powerful. And it leads and slants towards evil and depravity and sin. When it's not checked, when it's not resolved, it will only grow worse. The fall continues. We see the flood. Genesis 6. People began to increase in numbers on the earth. And there was a man called Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time and walked with God. Unfortunately, as we read verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Something like we saw like two years ago, right? All the looting, all the violence, all the crazy stuff. I don't care who started it. It's wrong, it's evil, it's wicked. And a lot of people need to repent and confess for it. God saw how corrupt the earth has become. Because let me tell you, if you were following biblical principles, you would not be on the street looting. You would not be on the street stealing. You would not be doing the murdering, thieving, looting things that we see take place. Oh, everybody was doing it. And everyone else is going to hell in the process. You can follow them? For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm sure you're going to destroy them both. Destroy both them and the earth. See, when we turn from God's truth and ways, we become depraved. We become wicked people. Death becomes our future. Banishment from the presence of the holy God. And we see earth was full of violence and corruption. And as the story goes on, there's a great flood. And everyone, everyone, every animal, and all things that walked on earth died. Except for those animals and people that made it into the ark that Noah and his, his sons built according to God's instructions. Noah obeyed God. Noah followed God's instructions. He saved his family, saved his wife, he saved his children and their wives. And the flood came. And the people that were outside of the ark, the people were judged, and they perished according to God's words. But Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. And him and his entire family was saved. So now the world went through their changes from the fall of the garden. The world went through a change. And now we see that the world goes through change again because of sin and wickedness and evil. And now we see that a worldwide flood altered the footprint of the earth. But this is still not the end of the story. Man still didn't learn their lessons and, and still sin abounds. And once again, God tells man this time through Noah and his family to be fruitful, to multiply, right? To fill the earth, to subdue it, to go out there. And over time again, people sin, people fail. They don't follow his commands. So the fall continues. Now we have the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, we learn about the Tower of Babel. You can read the story more. In Genesis 11 and all these stories go through the book of Genesis again and start to uncover cover the truths and principles of good and evil inside this book. And the people tried to build a tower to reach towards heaven thinking they could disobey God and do their own thing and get away with it un, un, unscathed un, without being punished. God said, go multiply. Go fill the earth. Go subdue the earth. And they said in their heart, they said, 
in their actions, they said in their ways, no, no, we won't go. Their attitude was, we will not obey your command. God said, go, they said, no. In fact, they, in their actions, they go and they build this tower to try to build this city, right? To avoid a flood again, right? They're going to build this big tower in direct disobedience what God tells them to do, which is foolish. It's foolishness because God already said, we will, I will never do this again. I'll never flood the earth like this again. So the whole concept was foolish. But imagine thinking that you're smarter than God and you're going to do something. He created you. You're going to do something to show him up. I doubt it. I know you're not. And not smart. And they tried to build this launch tower. Hmm. September 11th, 2001, New York towers, New York City towers were destroyed because of wickedness, because of evil. One thing good, if we could say one thing good came out of it, it brought people to their knees. It brought people to God. It brought people to pray. Churches were filled. Fear and evil often brings people to God. But people then quickly forget how fast we forget. Just a few years later in New York City in 2015, the Hindu goddess Kali, C-K-A-L-I, I don't know, who cares? Hindu goddess was displayed on the facade of the Empire State Building. I don't know if you remember that. I remember seeing that. It was terrible. I love the city. I love the city. I don't go there much anymore. I'm glad God is patient and merciful. I will tell you, church, I would not be if I was God. A lightning bolt would come from heaven and destroy that building. And anybody who had a part in it, I would like, boom, done, move on. Thank God he's not me. I'm sorry. That's what I would do. You would do it too. A lot of you would do it too. I don't, but whatever. That's, that's between you and God. It's like sons of thunder. Hey, you want me to call down a lightning bolt, right? New York City in America continues to be what, such a great leader around the world. And yet we're also a great leader in sin and depravity. This, this country's heading in the wrong direction. Church, pray for America. Pray for America. Because as America goes, there's going to be a lot of evil that takes place in the world. We're, we're stopping and blocking so much. We need a revival, church. We need a revival. We need a revival. I'm praying for a revival. But I'm also praying for a great awakening of the heart. Because a revival, in a sense, is for you to be revived. But the awakening of a soul to receive Jesus is a whole other story. We need both. We need more souls coming into the kingdom of God and we need saints of God that, are, that have a revival in their heart to put Jesus first in their heart and life. Anyway, the people were, were, were to fill the earth and put forth God's purpose, but they refused to obey, they refused to go, and they started to build their, their tower. So God scattered them, God confused them. The people were speaking one language and they were unified. And, and so we see them now speaking many languages and they were not unified and they're now scattered, right? They no longer could understand each other. And so this building project, this great building project stopped and this people were eventually scattered on earth. Church, when we do not obey God's words, when we do not listen to his words, when we do not listen to his commands, judgments will take place and, a very, and eventually it's going to take place. And while we're living under grace right now, this doesn't mean 
that he is pleased with our behavior. It doesn't mean that we're doing what he's asked us to do. That doesn't mean that we're performing rightly. And it doesn't mean that we're not sinning as we're living in the, in, in the process of life. The fall continues. And history continues. Many are still living in sin and living lifestyles that are just wrong and displeasing to him. And it's often done on purpose, not out of ignorance. Both are wrong. But we're sitting on purpose. We have the words. We have the knowledge. We have the preaching. And yet we still do it. Oh, I can go with anyone I want to go with. I can do whatever I feel like doing. Be me. I want to be me. Whatever they say. Do You do you. Whatever. What, what's the saying? Come on. What's the saying? You do you. Boom. That's my youth over there. You can't see them. Because you're not here. But if you were here, you can see them. We keep going through things. Hey, Tony. That's my Tony over there, right? And that's my Tony at home, too. Hi, Dad. I love you. Um, we keep going through scriptures, and we can be watching people. And we're watching people, and we see what they're doing. They know the commands of God, and they're not following it. They disobey him, and they suffer. We know that the Israelites ended up in the, in the desert for 40 years, wandering because of disobedience. Samson's eyes were plucked out because of sin, and he was a judge over Israel, and eventually he was, he was killed, and life was cut short because of sin. Kings lost their thrones. Others were killed and overtaken because of evil and sin. Wickedness, evil, and sin uh, is nothing new. Where his people is going to be sin, and they will fail, and they will fall short. Knowing this doesn't help, help us if we don't know the story, if we don't know how to help ourselves. In fact, um, a, a sinless future is almost impossible to expect right now. And if the truth be told, in and of ourself, it's impossible to be holy. It's impossible to be sinless without a holy God, without God. So God provided a plan. God's plans and provision is to restore us and overcome evil. God provides a way of escape to help us to, to avoid sin, to avoid evil, and to avoid wickedness in our heart and life. The other night I heard someone say that God caused sin, God caused sin to occur so that he can show mercy. God caused the evil so that he can show mercy. That's foolish thinking. Why? Because we know that God is good, God is holy, God is just, God is love. And there's no evil inside of God. There's no malice inside of God. He's not putting evil in front of you so that you can fall short, so that he can show up and show you mercy. No, the evil's here because we choose evil instead of following his perfect ways and designs. This person is trying to justify their failing and falling short and sinning. So he blames a holy and pure God for his sin and failures. God wants us to be successful. God wants us to be loving. God wants us to have an ongoing relationship with him. And as we look to follow God's plans and purposes, we sin less. Because we're following his ways, his path, following his steps. But I know that many people wonder about sin and pain and suffering. Why do we have to go through it? Sorry, bro. We have to go through it because there is sin on planet Earth. And even the prophet Habakkuk asked in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, How long, O Lord? How long must I call out for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make the, 
me look to injustice. Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and, and conflict abounds. I think the Lord makes us wait. Makes us wait for a response for many reasons. Sometimes it's because of our sin. Sometimes it's because of the sin of other people. And often we know we just live in a fallen, sinful world where Satan is the prince of this world. Where sin abounds. At times, the delays to humble us. It causes us to cry out to God. It causes us to submit to His will and His ways. Um, often these trials will, will reveal His power and authority and purpose as He brings us through these storms and these trials. And so there is mercy and grace and love. He often allows us to face suffering and pain in ourselves and others to bring salvation and appreciate his salvation. But he doesn't give us, he doesn't, he's not evil in any way. And that doesn't mean that he brought evil upon us or, or ordained it for us. Because we have free will. We make choices. Disobedience and sinfulness will always play an important role in how God's power is released in us and through us. You need to get that this morning. Romans 1 says, The wrath of God, verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So how do we overcome evil? How do we overcome evil? Well, it starts with God. It starts with God. He's going to make a way. But we also need to follow the way. We need to obey. We need to trust Him. And throughout Scripture, we see Him making a way to bring us into the right relationship. Ephesians, Johnson, this stuff down. Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Praise be to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Himself before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and we see the prophecy of the cross being displayed there in Genesis 3 verse 15, when the Lord warns Satan of his future demise, Satan's future demise, and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offsprings and husband, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And we see the prophecy of Jesus being uh, fulfilled through, through the finished work at the cross, and it was a strike to his heel, but it's a crushing blow to Satan's head. And then we jump to the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 3, the beginning of our reading at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only one and only son. He gave Jesus. He gave Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is love, and he loves us so much that he wants to save us from our own sinful way. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him we can be saved. Right? It's through Him. He wanted to save the world. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And why is that? Because he has not believed in the name of God. He has not believed in the only Son of God. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world. Jesus came into the world. Jesus, born of a virgin, born as a baby, born in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man, came in the flesh. This is the incarnation. 
But people love darkness. They love evil. They love the world. They love sin instead of light, instead of the truth, instead of loving God, instead of following his ways, purposes, and plans. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Why? For the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth of God comes into the light of God so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. It is through the cross that the Lord has overcome the world. And again, our theme for this year is found in John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, in Christ Jesus, you might have peace. You might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in all things... We are more than conquerors through him who's loved us. Romans 8, 37. For everyone has been born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world of faith. 1 John 5, 4. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 1 John 5, 5. It's in our faith and belief that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He has overcome the world, that we can overcome the world, that we can overcome sin in this world. He is the one who gives us the ability to overcome the world, that which would defeat us on our own. You see, the penalty of the law is death, but Jesus overcame death. Jesus overcame the grave. And just like He covered Adam and Eve in the garden, with the sacrificial animal, Jesus becomes now the perfect sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God that was slain on the cross once and for all. Jesus, in the beginning of the garden, killed that animal, was sacrificed that animal to cover and protect Adam and Eve and cover Adam and Eve. And now he does that for us as the perfect Lamb of God. And so we don't have to continue slaying and killing animals anymore. He's the perfect Lamb of God. It's finished once and for all. He was crucified. He was murdered on the cross. Three days later, He arose from the grave. This is a miracle. This is a mystery. And we're no longer subject to the penalty of the law and the penalty of death because Jesus paid the price and He paid it in full and He paid it for you and me. Hallelujah. And while our natural bodies will decay, it will get sick, we... We will face death because of sin and Satan's attempt to stop God's plan and purpose from going forward. Jesus overcame the grave. And so he conquered death, removed the sting of death, and broke those chains that keep us down. And now he gives us the Holy Spirit. He sends us his Holy Spirit to those who believe in him, to those who have received him. The Holy Spirit now resides in you. And now we can walk in the Spirit's power and authority. And when He convicts us of sin, and when we fall short in sin, we repent and turn to God. We ask Him, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And He will do that. He is just and faithful. He will forgive you of your sins. But then He tells us to trust and obey His ways and His plans. He's telling us, He's telling His people to go fill the earth, subdue it, rule it. 
have dominion over it. Walk in, in my power and authority, he says. And when we obey him, his kingdom advances. Souls are saved and the miraculous starts taking place. Hallelujah. He tells us in Matthew 28, which I'm constantly saying to this church, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, to Jesus. And then he tells us, therefore, go make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. We have to teach them, teach people to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age when we receive Jesus. And we obey his words and his ways. We put forth his will and purposes on earth. We can have this confidence, confidence in this, that he is with us, that God is with us, will never leave us nor forsake us. And there's no better place, church, than to be in the center of God's will, to be walking with him and working with him and, and serving him and giving and going and doing and living and walking in the Spirit's purpose and authority as God leads you and guides you. You will fulfill his purpose. It's not when you're stagnant and doing nothing. It's when you're busy doing his work because you love him. Now, for those who are not saved, who have not received Jesus, as we, as we transition to a time of communion, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus today. And, and looking around, most people in this room know Jesus, but you just never know. You just never know when someone has reached that part in their life that says, I want to know that peace. I want to know that love. I want to feel that compassion. I want to know that if I die right now, that I will be in glory with him forever and ever. I'm just going to pause for one moment before we go into communion. I will look around. You just say, I want to know the Lord in a personal way. I know of him. I heard of him. But I've never invited him into my heart to be Lord of my life. I've never dedicated my life unto him. Just one more moment. And for those who are watching from home, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior either, you can know him today as well. We just need to invite him into our heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I heard the message. I know the words. You, you, you came as a baby to save us, to seek and save us, to, to have a relationship with us, to empower us. I want that. I want to live for you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I invite you into my heart. If you did that or something like that today, you're saved. Now go live for Jesus. Go live for Jesus. Go live for Jesus. Now the saint of God, we are to, we are to examine our hearts. You're not off the hook because you're a Christian. You need to examine your heart as well. You need to repent for your sins and your, and your ways that are just not right. Ask God to forgive you as well. Just another moment. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Examine your hearts. Speak to Him. If you're watching at home, Hopefully you have some juice in your house and some bread and you can partake in this time as well. But don't partake if you're not a believer. You bring damnation and cursing upon yourself. But once you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then, you're, then you are welcome to take communion with us.
Father God, I pray for this bread. I thank you for the cross and your body that was bruised on it. I thank you for it. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this together as a family, church family. Hallelujah. This cup is symbolic. We don't believe it's blood. It's juice for us. Some people use wine. We use juice. It's just more convenient and easier for everyone in the house to partake. Unless you have a juice allergy, then that's another story. But this is something everyone can partake in, so we, we believe in to use the juice. Symbolic of his blood that was shed on the cross. We're gonna do this together as a family, right? So we want to pray for it. And then we want to understand what we're doing. Father God, I pray for this juice, symbolic of your blood shed on the cross. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We remember you, oh God. In the same manner, he also took this cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's, let's do this together as a family. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with us? Give God a praise offering. Come on, church. Give a praise offering. And let's sing a song. Would you be free Hallelujah. the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Yes. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? Wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Oh, come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power. Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working in the precious blood of the Lamb, in the precious blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. There's power in the Lamb of God to set the captives free. Hallelujah. 
Father God, we thank you for that's all that's being said and done. I thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for the church and for your people, O God, and for families and for unity, O Lord Jesus. Lead the way, O God. Teach us your ways, O God. Mighty God, help us to walk on the path that you have that you have div divinely put in front of us, O God. May we, may we give you all the glory, honor, and praise as we go throughout this week, serving you to the best of our ability. And help us, Lord, in all that we do and say, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Power in the name of the Lord.